Hello there, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Chris Hill, and I'm a contributor for Voice Magazine, an online space for young people interested in arts and culture. Today, I'll be interviewing Izzy Mooney about her recent project with BBC's new creatives, Stitching Kneeling. How are you doing today, Izzy? I'm good, thank you. Good. Um, Would you like to describe to our listeners roughly what Stitching Kneeling is and what it's about? Um, Stitching Kneeling is a documentary short about... um, the hand-stitched kneelers that were made in a um, a little village in Chewin, which is in Hertfordshire. Yeah, cool. Um, so I think it's fairly safe to say that your chosen subject matter is fairly niche. What made you choose this in particular? I, I was brought up um, quite religious when I was younger. Um, went to a Catholic school. Um, and I think I've always been quite interested in church dynamics. I think I've got quite a, a a bit of a funny relationship with the church, um, and it's definitely a relationship that's kind of somewhat sour. Um, but it's interesting to revisit what church communities can do that isn't that, that can be good and can be valuable um, beyond the constraints of the church uh, in later life, um, and try and find things in it that make sense. Okay, so it's kind of seeing church not just as a religious organisation but as a community. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, definitely that. Um, I think as well, I was quite, I'm quite um, in my own arts practice. I was doing a lot of work that was um, based in traditional craft and was, yeah, this is like kind of the epitome of that. Um, And so interesting to sort of revisit it in a sort of hyper domestic environment as opposed to like a fine art environment yeah of course and um i you should mention that that was going to be one of my next questions um your project your short film contains um a fair amount of archival footage there must have been a fair amount of archival work that went into this project is that something you're particularly interested in or is that just a consequence of the subject matter oh it's um like fully kind of the foundation or like the backbone to most of my practice um, I think I'm kind of really interested in, I, I guess it's it's kind of semi-problematic, the relationship I have with um, archival work in kind of inverted commas, because I think um, there's sort of this kind of hyper-romanticisation that you can do with things that feel archival, like just the, <laughs> like the word mm. archival is so kind of meaningless as well in the way that I'm using it. It's interesting, I met... Um, an archivist, um, Phil Owen, who's the archivist for um, the Arnolfini, he mm. <laughs> said that artists have such a kind of um, weird relationship with the idea of the archive and they totally romanticise it and they don't understand that it's, <laughs> it's like actually a really rigid and kind of, yeah, like a really rigid process and we're like, mm. and artists are always sort of like, swarming around the idea of it without understanding that it's actually it's not just it's not just an idea of something being old or being um Mm. cared for i don't know it's difficult to articulate um but i I think possibly it's the i really like the aesthetic of a lot of things to do with archives i like how things are recorded and i like um you know, I, I like how old footage looks. I like how old photographs look. And I don't think that's particularly unusual. But um, there's also, um, it's interesting to see what things what things are emitted from archives and the kind of stories that fall between the cracks and things that are, uh, what, what things are people consider worth saving and what things sort of just get thrown away. Um, 
but most uh, most of the um the the film is is not archive footage it's just filmed in an old mm. camera so it's sort of... Yeah, no, definitely. There's a lot of field recording in there as well, and I guess that that's 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 an element that kind of comes up in in the short film itself. This kind of idea between the kind of idyllic romantic country village and um, kind of contrast that between the the, the kind of the, the hyper romanticized image of what rural life is like and what the realities of that community driven project were was that something that you had to think about quite a lot when you were doing this project it, yeah it definitely was um i think it's difficult because i i'd never been to Chewin. i don't even know if i'd ever been to um hertfordshire like it, mm. it was a totally new place and i wonder like i think sort of retrospectively, I sometimes wonder if that was a bit problematic, if I was sort of going in with a bit of a, a kind of funny gaze in terms of not being part of the community, but being like, ooh, isn't it quaint? I'm going to film you. <laughs> um, you know, even like the first time we visited, <laughs> um, it was just like, I, I I don't know if I'd ever been somewhere like that. I, I, it's totally a part of... Like the the how it looked and how it felt felt really familiar in terms of like oh this is like this is like England this is like how people describe rural England I know this image but I I don't know if I've ever properly seen it so like even yeah. the day that we went just to visit we didn't film anything we didn't record anything um, we went to the uh, like I think it was the community hall and they had uh, they were doing like um, there's a word for it and I can't remember what it is but it's like where they um lots of people were sort of like a competition what's the word oh god that's gonna really irritate me um uh it was sort of like a summer fate where they had like people there was like the Victoria sponge competition and the yeah. <laughs> competition and it's all things that I've sort of I I know I know about that part of like English culture but I'd, I'd never yeah. really seen it in the flesh like even with like they had a portrait of the queen like hung really high up on the wall like even things yeah. like that it was like oh my god I've never actually seen it but I know I, it's so familiar at the same time um yeah I feel like a lot of what you're describing is very kind of culturally coded into British identity but is a reality that potentially a lot of people don't necessarily see I mean, even as somebody who does sort of live in the countryside, I do not live in a place like Dewin. I do not live in the kind of the archetype kind of chocolate box image of an English village. So I feel like it's it's an interesting experience to kind of see it in the flesh and realise how much British identity is culturally coded in mm-hmm. these kind of rural images, but how little I feel like a lot of people get to actually experience that. Um that sort of that sort of goes into one of my other questions of um, addressing something that the new UK culture culture secretary said. Um, he was, I, I guess, criticising the the BBC for being too focused on modern and urban depictions of Britain. Do you think your film helps challenge that idea or kind of present something different um, when the BBC is kind of at this kind of crossroads of being kind of examined for what it focuses on I, I suppose I feel a little bit wary of this question I think I, I I don't think that I from my perspective I don't think that the BBC is 
representative of um, lots of communities of people. Hmm. Um, and I think that um, trying to, I, I think I'm wary of the question because I don't want my film to be. <laughs> you don't want it to be kind of engaged in that kind of well, political. No, it's not that at all. I think it's, I think it's kind of crucial that it does. Like there's no way that it can't engage in, you know, it, everything's mm. politics it, it, like that is true i think it's more that i don't want my film to do what oliver downden wants it to do <laughs> no i i totally understand that there it's he's definitely as somebody who is fairly left-leaning myself i found his criticisms of the bbc rather i take issue with some of them but i think it is i i think there certainly is an aspect of the bbc that presents a very urban um uh, aspect of 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 britain um whether that's a problem or not is up to personal you, you know your own personal kind of perspective on on the matter some people might argue that that is the natural direction that the world is heading in and therefore not to represent that is to be untrue to the license pair um it's always it, untrue to what the vision of a modern Britain is, and that if you have to try and present it in rural contexts, then you're actually just looking backwards. Um, there are arguments you can make against that, of course, but that's certainly one angle that you could criticise that position from. I mean, this country is a really... I mean, I know that that's, like, fictional, but this country is a really mm. good example of um, a modern rural depiction of Britain. I don't think mm. that there, uh, you know, there are there are examples of that, and or even just in the way that um, what is it that plays on the telly, um, like Country File and things like that. You know, there are there yeah. are depictions of rural life in Britain, mm, um, definitely. But and I and I wouldn't say and I would say that um, I think it's interesting because I've read I was reading quite a lot a couple of months ago about. Um, rural life for young people and how it's difficult for a lot of cultural services to reach them just literally because of the like the distance that they were from each other Um, and it is and it is an issue and I do think that it's really really important that um, kind of rural identities are shown on the telly like it would be it would be wrong for me to not think so but I think um, I'm nervous about how I answer the question because um, I am suspicious of what the kind of um, undercurrent of what Oliver Dowden was saying. Like I, I'm a little bit suspicious of that because you know the I think the BBC still caters for a predominantly white audience. I think it still caters for uh, in many ways. Um, an older audience as well um Mm. but I also don't feel like you know I haven't got enough I I sort of also feel like I don't have enough information to answer the question I don't know what yeah I don't know what the um proportion of I'm sorry I I really like to go back to that question because I think it's a really interesting one and it's something that like in terms of the kind of like um I, I was really anxious about like what's my film saying? Like, does my film come across as kind of like Tory fodder? Like I, cause it, you know, 
Tewin is, you know, it's an affluent village. It's it's very middle class. It's I, I, I was a bit anxious about how the film came across. I mean, the film literally ends on Jerusalem playing. And, I, and that was a very, very conscious decision, but it was something that... And that would have been, of course, before all the um, problems with the proms oh, yeah, and the debates be... surrounding the stuff at the proms oh, happened. And I think it's... And I was really, really anxious about doing that, but it was a really conscious decision because it felt like like the community... I don't know. And again, this is why I feel there is something problematic in me going and filming them as an outsider and not really knowing anything about the village besides, you know, what I'd read on their village website. Um, (laughs) But from an outsider's perspective, it just seemed like this really kind of alien, untouched, like, part of England where Mm. things were really idyllic and that, like, the, the whole thing with the village hall, like that all painted this idea of this kind of very Jerusalem-esque England. But in reality, it's totally at odds to, you know, where I live at the moment or where I've lived in the past. And so I think Jerusalem, for me, was an interesting one to use because it was like the end of the film talks about whether this, like whether these crafts and things like that will go on in the future. And there's this interesting thing with the churches where they've been, a lot of churches have been getting rid of their pews because yeah. it's not really very practical in terms of the church is like, is a, is a space and space is a commodity now. And so you need to use it wherever you can. And so you get rid of the pews. And then that means that you basically have, you know, another community hall, another space that you can use for young people, mm. or for older people, or whatever you need to use it for. And that was a really interesting thing because in some ways it's like great that's great this is a really good example of the church having to evolve and to become almost more secular in order to meet the needs of everyone in the community like but then it's really weird because it's also totally unromantic because you replace the pews with these like really ugly chairs it's just interesting because I I mean I, I think it's the right thing to do but it's also I can totally see for some people, how that might feel really weird to see really important parts of the church be sold off in order for it to work and evolve into a modern community. Um, and I think that was, yeah, that was also the idea of putting Jerusalem at the end. But it's interesting as well, like uh, <laughs> the church, um, so the, well, the one in Chewin is, is really, really, really old. Um, and mm. if you look at the walls, there's like, graffiti carved into the stone from I mean it must be hundreds of years ago and 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 like a whole spectrum of graffiti from stuff which is more recent to things that must be hundreds and hundreds of years old Hmm. and it's interesting because all of these objects in the church they they carry a lot of social history it's Hmm. but if no one if if the congregation continues to just get older and older and isn't replaced by a by a younger community then the church will cease to be there at all and so yeah no like you said they they have to calculate these kind of sacrifices um Mm. and it's and it's difficult as well because i i i do feel really conflicted on it because even even if you remove the pews and you um make a space that you can that's more multifunctional for kind of community needs I still feel really weird about it because just the kind of architecture of a church 
makes me feel quite anxious. I, I don't, I have a really difficult relationship with it. And I think a lot of the film was sort of trying to mend that a bit and try and come to terms with it a bit and not be, not just associate the church with, um, with my own experiences. Okay, so from a practical perspective, what were some of the challenges in producing this film? Uh, well, initially, I was going to make the film in um, a diff- in a different like civil parish. Um, it was one up north, but it was just not practical to do the travelling between Bristol and there. And so I ended up choosing one that was um, based sort of like I wanted somewhere that was sort of close-ish between Bristol and London because I travel between the two places a lot. So just that was really awkward. And I retrospectively, I'm like, why did I not choose somewhere in Bristol? That would have made a lot of sense. I think it was, yeah, probably the most challenges producing the film was just um, because it was an area that I didn't know and I didn't know any of the people. It was just liaising and finding people that could be a part of the film. Fortunately, the um, the vicar at the church was super helpful and really eager um, to help um, and sort of put me in contact with uh, Elizabeth, Audrey and um, Pauline, who all were involved in the Neela project. I think as well, it was just an anxiety in because they were people I'd never met, but they were also quite different to me in terms of being a lot older and just being from a different background and all sorts of things like that I was anxious about how I would come across and whether I was representing them fairly in the film and things like that initially when I um, did my first edit of the film which was still a draft but it was relatively close to being finished um, I I sent it to Elizabeth who was like the main lady who did all the organized the whole project she was very confused (laughs) By the by, the film I'd made, I think she was not and not expecting it to look the way that it was, and I think that was because I mean I'm not a filmmaker. I'm I'm an artist that sometimes bumbles around with a camera, but I'm not a proper filmmaker. And so the film that I made was probably unbelievably lo-fi in comparison to what maybe they had anticipated, and I felt awful about it because I didn't want to make a film that they didn't like. (laughs) But I also can't make a film that looks any different to that, because it's the only kind of film I know how to make. Um, Mm. And that was quite difficult and, like, a bit upsetting, because I I wasn't sure whether they'd still want to be a part of it, even though I was only making a shoddy little short documentary about it. I just think think they just found it quite confusing and didn't... Like know what the point of it was um so that was probably the biggest challenge was sort of yeah meeting in the middle with that uh, it's, it's always a challenge to kind of reconcile what you as a creative want to do with your own artistic vision and how other people are going to interpret it well the first draft as well got um i'm trying to remember what happened now it was all at the same time as my degree show and i so the whole film was a bit of a blur. I don't really remember what happened. The film ended up going really over budget because the first one that got handed in, like as like a finished project, got like rejected by um, the executive producer, I think, or something like that. Mm. Maybe don't quote me on that. But um, 
basically they said it's well my interpretation of it was they said basically this is rubbish <laughs> do it again <laughs> i'm sure that's not what they were saying they were just like things need mm. to be tweaked um but that whole process like at the same time as my degree show totally um was was just a lot because as a, like when you're on a fine art course it's pretty rare that you get told what to do and so it was a bit like ah someone mm. say this really isn't good enough <laughs> um i was kind of used to getting away with quite a lot i think in the end i didn't mm. i don't think we changed an awful lot there were yeah there were a couple mm. of things and i think it was just so that the the things that we changed was just to make the film more linear and have more of a clear narrative and i think we added um the soundtrack which um the composer did who's amazing he's such a composer mm. um we did that he's called Hugh Cowling he's really really good and he uh just having the like the soundtrack and things like that was just so that feel like this when this bit of the film plays and then you need to feel like this when this bit of the film plays you know the thought of gives the audience a bit more direction but obviously as a musician I was really attached to the soundtrack as well and that that soundtrack was wonderful I thought it was really good and really felt what you were going for with the film yeah he's really 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 good I think I said to him that I just wanted something that sounded a bit like um it would have come from the Bagpuss soundtrack and and also in terms of so I made the film was pretty like solitary. I I do most of the bits myself, mm. but um, which is so a lot of filming. But I'm really really nervous about filming people. It it mm. feels unbelievably rude. Um, and so there was there's so much footage that I never got because I was too mm. embarrassed. <laughs> Oh, do you mind if I just whip out my camera now? Oh. And so much amazing audio that equally I didn't get my I didn't get the recording equipment out because I just was too embarrassed. Um, mm. And I think that will haunt me forever. And I think I probably won't ever change from being like that because it's it's just a it, it I, I'm really really bad at it and it's it's really difficult because I'm determined that I, I want to do all of the bits I don't want other people to film it I don't I want to be in control but the like kind of social niceties make it really confusing <laughs> feels very very weird and it's quite difficult to kind of interview someone and um encourage them to talk about things that you're interested in things you know lead the conversation or whatever um it's difficult to do that at the same time as kind of hiding behind a camera and like growing up, my mum, who I don't have a very good relationship with, she filmed everything all the time. She photographed and filmed everything. It's just what she's like. And I hated it. I really, really hated it. And it's funny as well because I'm filming on this camcorder that's actually my dad's. But um, when we were growing up, my mum had a camcorder just like that. And so I just feel like, like oh, my God, I've become her. I've become what I hate. And it's it's really, it's just really difficult. It, it feels really, really weird. And it's interesting because I keep sort of thinking mildly about new projects that I could do. Um, and I've been sort of talking to my grandparents more and my, um, my, um, my nan does a lot of knitting. She's really, she's a really, really, really good maker. Um, and 
mm. oh, that would be a really great thing to do. But I just don't know if if I can do it. I it just feels it feels like such a huge like disconnect to try and talk to someone and yeah, engage in conversation with them whilst also hiding behind a camera. I I, I really yeah. admire people that are able to do it, but I just have I have a really massive hang up on it. So kind of conversely, what part of the production process did you enjoy the most? I really enjoyed visiting Tewin. It was a bit like going on holiday every so <laughs> Sort of go for the day or for a couple of days. Um, and it was so different to being in the middle of London or being in the middle of Bristol. Um, it was really lovely. Um, and there were so many rabbits there. I've never been <laughs> and seen so many rabbits. It was just, yeah, a totally alien place. Um, and I didn't feel, I think because I was doing a lot of the work myself, I didn't feel an enormous amount of pressure either. You know, I was sort of just bumbling around and had the space to think about the project quite a lot. And I really enjoyed doing, I, I enjoy editing a lot. It's, it's hard work, but I, I liked the process of having, I mean, I must have had like hours of audio, it was a mm. lot, a lot of audio and so much of it, although it was great stuff, it just like wasn't, you know, the film is short, there's only four minutes that you're in. Yeah. And so there was so much of it that I knew would immediately have to be cut. But doing that process of mm. listening to it and then weighing up what's the most valuable thing what's going to make most sense for the story I really enjoy doing that especially like retrospectively I really enjoyed it whilst I was doing it it was a a huge pain in the ass but it was really that element of it it just feels like uh forming yeah that idea of forming something from all of this kind of big void of footage and especially when you're using a lot of um archive imagery and things like that it's fun to sort of cherry pick things although also stressful because you're like oh god i hope i don't misrepresent things or the um archive footage right at the beginning of the film um the stuff that's in black and white i had such a huge hang-up about using it because it's not in Perifordshire even it's not in it's it's just random Mm. archive footage of people in Mm. england a long time ago i mean they might not even be in england i think they are but that felt to me like really dishonest i felt quite anxious about things like that about how archive imagery can be sort of just thrown in. So um, themes of community and acts of community bonding are at the core of the film in general. Do you think this takes on a new perspective because of coronavirus? In some ways, completely. Um, And it's interesting as well because my... uh, So my partner took up up cross-stitching over COVID and it was really, really difficult, like over lockdown rather. Um, and it was really, really difficult to get any of the materials. <laughs> like all of these places had sold out um, of everything that you needed. I think it, like for a lot of people, it made sense to take up a hobby like knitting or crocheting or whatever. Um, you know, with this kind of abundance of time for those who, yeah, for for those who were laid off and things like that. And I think the the community, the, 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 I'm I'm wary of the question about community because all of these things, you know, right at the beginning of lockdown, there was kind of this um, influx of community feeling. You know, people doing the 
NHS clap and or like rallying together for mutual aid and obviously there are still ongoing examples of that you know a lot of people are still involved in mutual aid product, uh, projects and I did think a lot about chewing whilst I um, whilst I was in lockdown particularly because the women that I'd spoken to were older and so I was thinking they must be more affected by it and I wondered what their lives would look like during lockdown but I'm I'm wary I think I'm wary of the question because I'm not sure uh, how sustained some of these kind of ideas of community bonding have been as lockdown has kind of eased. People are people and even, I don't know, we're still deep in amongst it. And I think in Mm. some ways, yeah, there's been some really good community work and in some ways there hasn't been at all. Start. I've started so many cross-stitching projects. I've started so many knitting projects and I never finish any of them because I'm not very, I've not got a very good, um, attention span and I sort of wonder that with a lot of kind of community minded projects some people totally have the mentality to approach those projects with all that they've got and it's amazing um, mm. and <laughs> I think during COVID there's like there's a lot of people who suddenly have time and so they think oh god I should do that and mm. then they don't sustain it maybe I'm just saying that because that's how I feel I don't know I'm not very um, even with the um with the cross stitches that they did at the church. I know that the women who I spoke to, they finished off quite a lot of peoples who could started theirs but couldn't quite finish mm. theirs. I I know that Elizabeth definitely <laughs> finished off her husband's one because he couldn't I think he did some of it, mm. but he didn't want to like filling in the background takes ages. Um she finished it off. And I think the project obviously they're the project for them was obviously great and it got loads of people in the community involved but the film I don't think really focuses on that if the film was to focus on that I would have spoken to more people but in the end it was sort of it was just those three women I don't know how it ended up just being about them but I think they were the ones who really who it probably mattered the most to but I but then again I'm not sure like again it's that thing of I'd only just turned up to the village. They were the people that I would, was told to speak to. I mm. I'm, I'm think I'm panicking because I'm thinking, I didn't do very good filmmaking. I should have spoken to more people. You absolutely did. And the, the, the reason why I think you did, and in speaking to those three people in particular, is you got three people who, you know, were, were kind of t- telling the same story, but from different but aligned perspectives. Right, yeah, and yeah. they sort of became the vehicle by which to talk about something bigger than them yeah so i i don't think that's bad filmmaking at all i think you you changed kind of ideas of how you were going to format it on the fly and it works really well i feel like i've fished for compliments now um it's absolutely fine you did not just fish for compliments i was no it's no that's absolutely just my honest takeaway from it let's let's end with kind of three short questions voice magazine is a online magazine for young people and I think the new creatives aim themselves in no small part at young people. What do you hope young people would take away from your film? I'm aware that this is a bit of a rubbish answer but I think I want people to just know that new creatives exist and that it's a Mm. really really good opportunity. Um, it's difficult it's just to have the, the freedom to make a film with a budget um, and with support has been mm. unbelievably helpful for me um, and mm. I and it's difficult to say at the moment because I still feel very kind of in amongst it and it wasn't very long ago 
Um, but it's difficult to say exactly what I've taken away from it. But the people that I've spoken to as a result of making it um, and the pivots that I've learned about and the other filmmakers that I've met through it has been invaluable. And I think more than wanting young people to take away something from the story of the film or the themes in the film, it's just that it exists and that it's possible to make a film that I, I think I was quite anxious that they might not pick it because it was a bit of a, a boring <laughs> or like it's not I obviously I don't think it's boring but I think some people hear about what it's about and maybe find it a bit difficult to relate to which makes complete sense mm. but that they are looking for kind of a breadth of different films yeah. um, and that it's there and available so do you have any plans on what you're going to work on next and do you have any projects on the go not specifically I I have um I got the Dreamtime Fellowship um in October last year. So I've been based at Spike Island um, with a studio, which has just been extended till December to take into account the fact that we can use the studios over lockdown. Um, I've just been pootling about in the studio, really. <laughs> I do a lot of ceramic stuff, so um, I've been working on ceramics, but it's so nice because I've got, I've, I'm, I've been amazingly lucky and privileged to have the opportunity because it's really um, Luke Sharam who funds it is um, really supportive but also like totally lets you just get on with it and so at the moment I'm having a complete kind of crisis of like I've got no ideas I don't make any art I, I'm a horrible yeah I don't know I've just been in a bit of a artist block that's it yeah I've got artist block at the moment um, yeah, but- I think everyone goes for it I mean my <laughs> My mum's a painter. My mum is a fine artist herself. She paints wildlife. And I know that she goes through that exact thing uh, fairly frequently. Yeah. Where she's just like, I have no idea why I want to paint right now. But it always resolves into something. Absolutely. And at the moment, I have, I'm so lucky to have the space to have that and know that the studio will still be there next week yeah. in a month's time. It will still be there. So at the moment, I'm just sort of... Um, yeah, working on my ceramics things, and oh, and I'm also helping um, uh, work on a on a potential new film. Fingers crossed. So yes, where, where can people find more of your work and kind of see what you've been up to, what you've created? <laughs> I was really dreading this question. I've got a really <laughs> big problem with <laughs> recording my own work. Um, that's something that's great about new creatives is that I sort of didn't have a <laughs> like. You have to make the film. There's, there's no way you can get out of making the film. And then the film, like, concretely goes somewhere. I I don't have a website. I will try and make a website, but I, I'm not at the moment. I, I, I have an Instagram. Um, I, Instagram is absolutely fine. I deleted Instagram in the last, <laughs> in the last five days. I was like, oh, Pink, why are you asking me this question? Oh, God, I've just deleted the only... Um, it still is there. I just am not using it at the moment. Um, so you can Absolutely. link my Instagram, but not with any particular promise that I'll be using it anytime soon. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I was talking about it with my partner the other day. I think it's really, really difficult because I'm not really sure... In a lot of ways, when I look at the kind of um, like portfolio of work I've made, I sort of don't feel like it's appropriate to put it online because it's like some of it I'm quite pleased with, and quite a lot of it it's not. It's not what I want to be yet, and so I don't want to put it out on the internet because it feels like 
I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Give me a couple more years and then they'll be they'll be somewhere closer. But at the moment, it still feels a bit, a little bit, not quite there. Yeah, but I'm sure soon enough. Um, I'll have I'll have something I'll do something like that um, so yes thank you very much Izzy for coming on today thank you all for tuning in my name's Chris Hill you can find my articles up on Voice Mag um, under Chris Hill and I write on um, usually matters concerning music and gaming and quite frequently in the intersection in between those two things and you can find various recordings of me playing online on YouTube if you type in Chris Hill Flute some of my performances will eventually and uh, thank you all for tuning in and have a great day today's episode was made possible by voice magazine an online platform for young people interested in art and culture you can read voice over at voicemag.uk and find it on twitter instagram and facebook as voicemag.uk the voice contributors are also on instagram over at voice.extra if you are looking for another podcast to listen to The contributors release the Voice Extra podcast every Saturday, where they talk about the pieces they've produced and the culture they've been enjoying. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us to make more with a donation of any amount at voicemag.uk forward slash donate. Thanks to Kevin McLeod for the use of the track Thief in the Night. You can find more of his work in compitech.com. Tom Innes was the executive producer.